First, I want to begin and say apologies, Becky. I said it was her mother, it was her grandmother that, uh, that died. And so our condolences are with, with her. Matthew chapter 20. Jesus had just taught the disciples that they would sit on the 12 thrones judging the nation of Israel. That created a great desire on their part, and it prompted James and John to incite their mother to ask on their behalf that they would be privileged to sit on the left and right-hand sides of Jesus in the coming kingdom. Jesus then taught his disciples that they were not to be like the secular rulers who lorded it over and oppressed their subjects, but rather they were to be like Jesus, who came not to serve, but to be, not, who did not come to be served, but to serve. In Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 and 28, it states, But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. For many. So in what way did Christ do us a service in coming into this world? Our text tells us by giving his life as a ransom. There are many different achievements that Christ accomplished by his death on the cross. There are many facets to the atonement. In fact, I I did a series on some of the different facets of the atonement. For example, there is a moral metaphor. He died is our example. He showed us how we were to live. He showed us how we were to die. Even we have that exemplary aspect in this text this morning, that we are to serve even as he served. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. So there's the exemplary aspect of the atonement. There is the sacrificial metaphor. Jesus died as an offering to, for sin. And as you think about that particular metaphor, that Jesus Christ died as an offering for sin, there are a whole host of subsets that we could look at as we think about Christ dying as an offering. Just think of the offerings in the Old Testament. There were sin offerings, there were peace offerings, there were free will offerings. There were many, many different kinds of offerings. Jesus epitomizes them all. Jesus fulfills them all. Every single offering in the Old Testament, Jesus' death on the cross, fulfilled what was foreshadowed in those particular offerings. There is a legal metaphor. Jesus died for our justification. There is an interpersonal metaphor. Jesus died to bring about reconciliation. He reconciled us to God. We who are enemies with God now are friends with God. And not only friends with God, but sons 
of God. He reconciled us to one another, bringing us together into one body in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a commercial metaphor in Jesus dying as a redemption. And then today, there is this metaphor of ransom. And so it is that metaphor that we want to focus on primarily today. He died as a ransom for many. So the theme this morning is Jesus exercises servant leadership by giving his life as a ransom for many. Jesus exercises servant leadership by giving his life as a ransom for many. The imagery of a ransom is a payment that is made to secure the deliverance of a captive. That's what Jesus did. A payment that is made to secure the deliverance of a captive. So we begin by noticing that the ransom is indeed a payment that is made, and that payment is the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice verse 28. That's our key verse this morning. Matthew 20, 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom. A ransom always has a payment that is associated with it. This particular ransom, the payment is the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's given to us in more detail in verses 17 to 19. It tells us, and as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. There, Jesus describes all the events that are associated with his death and then the coming resurrection. There he just simply says that he will be delivered over. Says nothing about the voluntary aspect. But in verse 28, he tells us that he gave his life. No one took it from him. No one was able to conquer him, but he gave his life. And it is in that giving of his life that he indeed was a servant Serving the will of the Father and serving us. It was to our benefit that he gave his life. There are two primary ways in which the Bible speaks of Jesus' death as being a payment. By far, the most common is in the word redemption. He is our redeemer. He redeemed us. And at the heart of the imagery of redemption is that Jesus died in order to pay for the penalty of our sins. The scripture teaches that the wages of sin is death. We are all under the sentence of death. Therefore, Jesus died so that the penalty of sin could be met and God could be just in forgiving or canceling out our indebtedness. Romans 3, 21 and following says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God 
and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He is our redeemer. He paid the price for our sin. Our text uses a different word to describe the payment. This is not payment for sin. This is a payment of ransom. Notice again, verse 28 of chapter 20. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. That is a rare imagery in the New Testament. The imagery goes all the way back to the Passover. And if you remember, Jesus is referred to in the scripture as the Passover lamb. Behold the lamb of God that takes away sin. He is the Passover lamb. It is rather noteworthy that Jesus did not die on the day of atonement. Uh, You would think that that would be the most logical day for Jesus to die, as indeed he is our atonement. He did pay the penalty for our sin. But in actuality, he died on the Passover. That also is a fitting imagery, and it's the one that is before us today. He died as the Passover lamb. If you remember, in the Old Testament, the children of Israel were in bondage. They were in slavery. They were captives to the nation of Egypt. And Moses was called by God to tell Pharaoh to let God's people go. They were unwilling to do so. And God, in his judgment, is going to bring an angel that is going to kill the firstborn in uh, each family. And there is to be this Passover lamb, a lamb that is slain. And the blood is to be put on the doorposts, the sides of the doorway, and on the lintel, the top part of the, the doorway. And every place where that blood was shed, then those people would be spared in that house. But if there was not blood in that house, then the firstborn in that house would be, would be slain. And it would be the means by which God would deliver the children of Israel out of their bondage. As a result, Pharaoh would indeed let the children of Israel go. It is that imagery of a people who are in bondage who are going to be set free. Jesus describes his ministry early on from quoting from the book of Isaiah. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, uh, he read from Isaiah where, where it states, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus Christ came 
to set at liberty those who were captives, those who were oppressed. So, what did he deliver us from? What was that captivity that Jesus delivered us from? He is the ransom, delivering us from captivity. John chapter 8, verse 34 says, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say unto you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. We are captive to sin. We are incapable to overcome sin in and of ourselves. The Old Testament asks the question, can the leopard change his spots? Can we change who and what we are? And the answer is no. We are slaves to sin. But Jesus Christ died so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. That no longer would we be bound to live the sinful lifestyle that we had lived previously. But Jesus Christ died to set us free from that slavery to sin. Secondly, he died to set us free from oppression. From oppression. But who is the oppressor? And what oppression were we under? Answer, Satan. Hebrews says this, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, that's referring to Christ, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The evil one. In Ephesians chapter 2 it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, referring to the evil one, referring to Satan. He is the prince of the power of the air. It says that we were walking, we were fulfilling his will, we were doing his bidding. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God in his mercy delivered us through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus not only paid the ransom for our sin, Jesus also conquered the evil one through the death and resurrection. Remember that When Jesus dies, two things are at work. First, he's fulfilling the will of God the Father because he is accomplishing our redemption. He's paying the penalty for our sins. But oddly enough, at the same time that it is the will of the Father that Jesus goes to the cross, the evil one, Satan is also at work wanting to see Jesus put to death. In Luke chapter 22, it says, Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, 
who was the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and scribes how he might betray him to them, and they were glad and agreed to give him money. So it was Satan who put into the heart and mind of Judas to betray Jesus so that Jesus would be crucified. It is that ransom aspect. But Jesus dies and rises again, demonstrating power over the evil one who could not keep him in the grave. Satan could not overcome the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we enjoy a freedom. We are no longer captive to our sin, nor to our oppressor. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We are no longer under Satan's domain. We are no longer under Satan's control. Satan no longer has dominion over us. The scripture teaches that we have been translated from Satan's kingdom to Christ's kingdom. Colossians 1.13 He, that is Christ, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So now, we're no longer a part of Satan's kingdom, but we are a part of Christ's kingdom. During the Civil War, there were slaves in the South, of course. And at the turning point of the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln, the President of the United States, declared the Emancipation Proclamation. And that is in which he declared all the slaves to be free. They were free. But in freeing the slaves, the question was, now what? Where were they going to go? What were they going to do? How were they going to live? How were they going to be able to take care of themselves? They had no money. They had no property. They had no job. But they were free. But they were free. That's not the imagery of the freedom that we enjoy. We haven't just been set free from the evil one, but now we've been made part of a whole other kingdom. Now we are part of Christ's kingdom, the kingdom that he just described that we looked at just a couple weeks ago. This kingdom which he reigns over. And the apostles are going to be sitting on their 12 thrones. It is that kingdom that we become a part of. But that kingdom that we are now a part of looks nothing like the kingdom of the evil one. The kingdom of the evil one is full of oppression. He's full of misery, heartache. He is a deceiver. He is wicked. He cares not for his subjects. 
He lords it over them in the fullest sense of that word. Bring them heartache and misery. But we have a different ruler now. We have Christ as our king. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus describes it this way. All things have been handed over to me by my father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. In my kingdom... You're at ease. In my kingdom, you are not going to know oppression or hardship. If you look at your Bibles, you will notice that chapter 21 begins with the triumphal entry. Jesus entering into Jerusalem as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But he comes riding not on a white stallion He comes riding on a donkey. And Matthew chapter 21 verse 5 says this, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. He comes bearing the burden. He comes bearing the hardship. Look at your king. For your king is nothing like any earthly king you have seen. Earthly kings serve themselves. Christ came not to be served, but to serve others. All out of this picture of being a ransom for sinners. But in the text, I want to point out The context. Matthew chapter 20, starting at verse 25. But Jesus called them to him, that is the apostles, and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus Christ did not come to be served. He came to serve in order to free his people from their captivity and oppression. Therefore, therefore, Jesus did not set us free from Satan so that we could come into bondage to one another. He didn't set us free from oppression so that we could oppress one another. He didn't set us free from 
Satan's domain so that now we could have ten apostles reigning over us who were interested in just simply serving themselves. Jesus died to free us from that kind of relationship. That's why he says to the disciples, it can't be that way among you. It's not in keeping with my death. Not just the example of being a servant, for he gave himself as a ransom for many. It's more than just the example, it's the purpose, it's the reality. Jesus Christ died to set us free from captivity to sin and oppression by others. Therefore, don't cause other people to sin and don't oppress your fellow brother and sister in Christ. For Jesus died to deliver us from that very oppression. As we go to communion this morning, we need to remember our role is not to bring our fellow Christians into captivity to us. Our role is to serve others, to deliver them from bondage to their sin and the evil one. Ours is a ministry of deliverance in keeping with Jesus' ransoming ministry. So as we go to communion, we're to celebrate the freedom from sin and Satan that we enjoy through the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God that he has set us free from our own sinful natures and from the evil one. We're to rejoice that we've been made part of Christ's kingdom. He just hasn't set us free to flounder. But he's set us apart and set us free and allowed us to be a part of his kingdom. A kingdom that is like no other king. A kingdom that's unique. A kingdom in which the king serves rather than is served. We're to see that in Christ's kingdom, we're not to bring one another into bondage, but rather gloriously serve one another to the praise and the honor and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we partake of communion this morning, we partake as equals, sharing in the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Members, of his body, members of his kingdom. Thankful that we can enjoy the freedom that we do from sin and oppression. May we guard that freedom in the lives of each other. Let's pray. Our Father, help us now as we partake of communion. Uh, Help us to rejoice in the ransom that we enjoy that freedom that we enjoy, that deliverance from our captor, sin, and our oppressor, the evil one. Thank you for being transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Thank you for the freedom that we enjoy, the blessing of one another. And Lord, help us to promote that freedom within the body of Christ, helping one another to overcome sin and serving one another to the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.